What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 40 of The Having Report. I'm Brad Mines, your host. The price of Bitcoin is approximately 38.4 thousand US dollars or 49,000 Canadian dollars. There's about 1,211 days left until the next Bitcoin halving, said to be in May of 2024. We've seen huge price increase in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies since the last show. Not to mention much more exciting news to come out of the cryptocurrency space that we get to probe today's guest, Tim Copeland, all about. Tim is a UK news editor for Decrypt Media, an outlet that I use often for very detailed and coherent articles about what's happening in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. Let's get right to the interview. Thanks, Tim, for coming to talk to me on the podcast today. First thing I want to ask you is just about your background in regards to your life before crypto and on your path becoming a journalist. So I studied philosophy at uh, the University of York. Started doing PPE, but ended up doing straight philosophy. Uh, as I came out of that, I ran a cafe for around two years. And then I was at a startup very briefly. And then I decided to study journalism. So I um, studied it for four months, did a diploma. Uh, and around that time, that was early 2018. Um, and around kind of late 2017, obviously heard a lot about crypto, got really into it. And I was just reading everything about it. And then I just read so much, I just had to start writing about it to kind of get it out of my head. And I even set up my own website called bitcoinnoise.co.uk, um, long closed. Uh, where I would just kind of write probably really terrible articles now if, if I look back on them. And then when I when I did my diploma, I started writing for a few crypto news sites. And then I went, when I finished it, I went freelancer for a bit, just writing for these sites. And then I started at Decrypt when that when it when it first launched. And then it sort of suddenly I've now been there two years, which is which is crazy. Yeah, no, time's definitely going extremely fast, especially with everything that's happened right now. Uh, we're definitely in, living in a crazy time. 2021 is, you know, hasn't really slowed down in terms of all the exciting things that are happening with the explosion of Bitcoin and crypto, chaos that's happening in the States. There's, there's so much news. I couldn't imagine being in your world right now. Now, I just want to jump back a little bit to when you first came across Bitcoin. How did you first come across Bitcoin? And can you remember what your first impressions are in discovering it? So, I mean, I first heard of it at university in like 2013, 2014, just like, you know, friends using the dark web. But I never had any kind of direct experience with it or really knew anything more than that. And it, all I heard was that it was just super complicated kind of process and I like vaguely about mixing and stuff so I never kind of had an experience with it then it was only I think yeah maybe like September 2017 where the prices went a bit crazy and I kind of got a bit interested in it yeah no I mean and that's that's kind of where I fell into where I really dived deep to was fall 2017 when the price started to explode like you had heard about it years prior but never really dived deep into it and obviously I didn't have money to invest coming out of university as well so it kind of put a lull in my terms of going full crypto. You know, when I, when I first got to the space, I don't recall reading a whole bunch of Decrypt, but it seems like the last couple of years, one of my most used websites for, for reading crypto articles. Can you give us a, a background of Decrypt as a company and you know, how it came to be in your role with them? Sure. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's only been around for two years. What's crazy is that we've gone basic, we've gone from zero to like 3 million monthly users within two years, which is, is pretty crazy. And it's pretty awesome to be part of that. Um, I think... Now it has yeah. a lot of that, sorry to interrupt, but it has a lot of that come as of late with the with the price explosion. Are you guys seeing a lot of, a lot more traffic now? Definitely traffic's up significantly. We, I mean, we first hit that peak a while ago, somewhere halfway through last year. Like, so it would have been within, it was definitely, I think it was under two years, which is pretty crazy. But obviously, it, you know, it fluctuates a bit. But yeah, I mean, it's, been a, it's good to see Google searches going up again. 
which is cool. Yeah. So how did how did Decrypt start? Well, we essentially have kind of five co-founders that kind of all came together. There, there was a kind of a acqui hire of a smaller company called Lightpaper, which is now our learn section. So like, uh, what three guys from Lightpaper came into Decrypt as it began, creating kind of five co-founders with with a pretty massive worth of experience between them and it's pretty cool working with them so like josh quitner he was an editor at time magazine for many years so he has an incredible like editorial background matt hussey uh, wrote for wired ryan he was a co-founder of code academy so he has kind of incredible technical skills um, and then ilan's uh, a developer who's done a lot of work on the website and on the app recently so um we have a pretty incredible team as we've grown they their kind of vision has multiplied and we've kind of made it into a reality and, and i think we've got a long way to go which is really exciting now you guys do so you have a learning section you have you guys obviously read a lot of articles and you guys do a podcast now too as well yeah 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 so uh matthew aaron he he was behind the uh crypto 101 podcast i think which he he made very successful and now for us he he runs our decrypt daily podcast it's fairly new but it's it's um picking up quite significantly in terms of kind of people listening to it on the, uh, every day we recently stuck it on our website so like even when you're on the homepage, you can now just click it and start listening to it straight away which is really cool and a lot of people like love it like the reviews we've had it are really cool like it's really inspiring to see how many people enjoy it and just listen to it daily because it's, it's so informative i was looking for more podcasts to put on my playlist so that's good i like i was like i said i've always uh, been a fan of your articles uh, at decrypt just because of the in-depth you guys go and, and the quality of journalism that you provide. But I'm yet to dive into the podcast, but it's certainly something I, I plan on doing. We're just nine days into 2021. You know, it's, it's been been pretty crazy so far, but just jumping back to 2020, I wanted to ask you what were some of the biggest things that stood out to you that happened in the crypto space? Well, big question. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, like I could, I could answer first if you want to, like, I mean, like, like seeing a lot of institutional money come in, you know, the amount of crypto wallets being opened, some monumental things like PayPal to me was, was a big addition as well. But just someone who works in the space of journalism within crypto, just want to see what your take on 2020 was. I think it's quite fascinating because but like even when it comes to kind of Bitcoin or the Bitcoin price, it basically went to like its worst point in quite a while. Like it hit, you know, a reasonably uh, impactful low when it kind of dropped in that March crash. And then it also by the end of the year, it had suddenly become this kind of asset class that was being picked up by major institutions who just couldn't get enough of it. Like it's an incredible contrast between how it started the year and how it ended the year. And I think if, you know, if in March... You had to bet on where you thought Bitcoin was going to be in a year's time. I think a lot of people would have been very bearish on it. And like, you know, they might have said, oh, it might go up a bit. I don't think many of them, when it was at 4,000, predicted by the end of the year, it was going to be at 40,000. It's definitely been an insane ride for those who kind of hold Bitcoin. And I think, yeah, a lot of the news has kind of driven that. So, I mean, obviously kind of micro strategy started it off. Well, I mean, there was a lot of kind of institutional buying before that, but they, they were the kind of the big name that really sparked the fire. And then you've just seen a lot of other companies kind of follow suit. Uh, and it's been very interesting to watch. And even like, as we saw yesterday, Morgan Stanley has upped their stake in micro strategy. And I think, I think that's quite a fascinating bit of news. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's all very positive. And I think, I kind of think the crypto industry is definitely better prepared now than it was in 2017. 
Like it might not seem like that with a lot of exchanges going down whenever kind of volumes pick up, but I think they're definitely onboarding processes are a lot easier. There are a lot more exchanges, a lot more regulated exchanges, especially in the US. And I think to some degree, crypto exchanges are scaling. I think they definitely are having some scaling issues, but I do think the crypto industry is in a much better position now than it was a few years ago. So, you know, I mean, that's the advantage of bear markets where everyone just kind of sticks their head down and they get building. Uh, but it's interesting to see where we're going to be over the next year, I think. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, certainly. And and just talking about institutions coming in, kind of leading into my next question here, you know, you see a lot of institutions are going Bitcoin crazy now and, and stacking a lot of Bitcoin. And they're stacking a little bit of altcoins too. But what's your position between Bitcoin versus altcoins? Do you see any value in altcoins or do you ultimately see seeing Bitcoin as the one to stick around and thrive the most? I'm quite kind of complicated view on that to some degree i'm very open-minded and as a journalist i kind of report kind of fairly on everything and try not to express too much judgment i think you've got to recognize the differences between the different kinds of coins and i think the level of decentralization is i think the most important thing to kind of look at and i think that's the institutions are primarily into Bitcoin and Ethereum right now. And I think those are the kind of two coins where you see quite heavy decentralization. Whereas you have like a lot of Ethereum killers or Ethereum rivals, whether it's kind of a lot more centralized and you, and you have a lot of issues. I mean, for example, the SEC going after Ripple, you know, that, that's been very damaging to XRP in terms of where you can trade it and things like that. And I think institutions are probably steering clear of the most centralized kind of coins. Yeah, but I do see a lot of promise in a much wider, broader industry. For example, I think Ethereum has a lot a lot of use cases. Um, I don't think everything should necessarily be on the base layer quite so much. I think that creates kind of difficulties. But if you have a good base layer and then you have a lot of second layer solutions built on top of that, then you can kind of do a lot of, of cool decentralized applications. And you're seeing that with, I mean, the huge growth of DeFi this year, a lot of really, really interesting, innovative applications are being built. I think there's just so much interesting stuff happening and it's, it's kind of the pleading edge of innovation and it, and it's very exciting to document and to watch. Definitely very interesting. And just jumping back to uh, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission saying that uh, the XRP token has been illegally marketed to retail customers. Prices dropped drastically last couple of weeks. Exchanges are delisting it. You know, do you have any further insight into how this is developing? And do you think this is the, the delisting of XRP on major exchanges is going to spell the end of XRP? It's a tricky one. I don't think the delistings won't spell an end to it. The delisting is basically just a, a reaction to the SEC lawsuit because fundamentally these companies don't want to get sued. They, they don't want to get penalties for continually continuing to trade the asset. Now the SEC has appeared to imply that they believe it is a security. You know, fundamentally, if you make it harder for anyone to trade on exchanges, that will kind of sink the trading volume um, that may affect the price. So I, I think it's definitely going to be a very tricky time until the lawsuit is resolved. And then obviously it depends how the lawsuit is resolved makes a big difference to what happens after that. And how long do you think this lawsuit could drag out for? I'm probably not the best person to ask that too. I mean, it, it seems like they kind of want to do it quickly, at least on Ripple's side. And I, I think they set an initial date relatively soon, if I remember March, but I'd have to check that. So like maybe they get through it pretty quickly. I think that would be probably the best thing for, say, XRP holders. I, th- I think like the longer this draws out, 
I imagine the more it will kind of cause issues. All the industry has wanted for a long time is clarity. We've written about it a bunch of times. Uh, every kind of company in this industry just wants, they just want to know what they're allowed to do. They just want to know, you can do this, you can't do this. If you do this, you have to comply with these regulations. Whatever it is, all they want to do is just be compliant. You know, I know they're not going to end up with one of these lawsuits. I, I, I think it, it creates a lot of uncertainty when they know that something like this could happen. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to watch the outcome of the case. Yeah. And I think, you know, one has to know that you're gambling a little bit when you're investing in, in gray areas, right? So I think uh, much of this is anticipated, especially by you know, the Bitcoin maximalists, of course. But the next one I want to ask you about, and, and just coins in general, is privacy coins. You know, recently we've seen Bittrex stop its trading of XMR. We saw the price dip slightly. Do you expect XMR to be delisted from other major exchanges? And do you think it'll have long-term effect on, on Monero or other privacy coins? So that's that's quite an interesting one. I think often it may, when you see like delistings like that, it makes sense to go, oh, look, the regulators are probably reaching out to these guys and telling them they can't list these coins or whatever. In this case, it seemed that didn't seem to be the case because you had a number of other exchanges, some of the you know some of the bigger exchanges saying we haven't heard anything, we haven't been contacted. There's no you know there's no reason to delist delist privacy coins. Like I wonder what caused that to happen, and I think it'll be interesting to know what caused that to happen because it doesn't seem like it's this kind of regulatory crackdown. I think if there was a, a crackdown of privacy coins, I think it'd be much more apparent. And I think you would see mass delistings. And then that would be a significant question about the reliance on uh, centralized exchanges, things like that, and the fate of privacy coins in the future. But I think for now, I wouldn't, for now, everything seems to be fine, I think. And I think there are a lot of reasons to allow this kind of innovation. I mean, you know, if you look at cash, cash is private anonymous like i don't reveal to the world every time i open my wallet whereas one of the problems of using cryptocurrency is it's so transparent kind of in contrast to what everyone used to think about it you know it's too transparent especially if you're going to use it to transfer value i mean it's fascinating for us in the industry because we can watch things that are happening like we report regularly on kind of what bitcoin whales are doing like we don't know specifically who it is but we know you, you can watch the kind of big money. And even there's there's cool stuff like there's a analytics platform, Nansen, which watches, it can see early investors, like it identifies uh, like early DeFi investors. And then you can watch what the smart money is doing. And I, I think that's fascinating. But ultimately, if you value privacy and if you, you, know, you want to be able to spend your money on whatever you want to spend it without people potentially being able to identify it, privacy coins are needed for that. And I think it's a kind of a bit of the industry that hasn't been developed as much as it could be. I think you could see a lot more privacy coins. I mean, you know, Dash was very quickly like, oh, we're not a privacy coin. So then, you know, you're looking at Monero and Zcash, maybe, maybe a, cu- a couple others. And obviously, you know, there's been a lot of progress for them. I mean, Zcash, they brought out, uh, I think they had a new uh, proposal they announced yesterday, and they're continually kind of improving it. I, I would love to see a lot more innovation when it comes to privacy coins. And, and I wish there were more options. And I wish they got more usage. I mean, you know, Zcash, it's about 50%, 15% of the transactions are fully private. No, sorry, no, 15% are partially private. And then I think it's something like six or 7% fully private whereas you know so out of the kind of two big privacy coins only a fraction of one of them is are actually are actually private transactions so i think yeah they're definitely a a small segment of the market while they could be much 
it could be a much bigger segment. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see to see where they go and how people diversify. I guess, you know, my concern is other coins, altcoins losing value in comparison to Bitcoin. And if it's worth just going through the necessary steps of using just Bitcoin, but just being careful if you're if you're looking for privacy. But this might this next question might be a little bit difficult too, but I thought I'd ask it while I have you. Just when talking about threats and attacks to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, have you researched the threat of quantum computers to blockchain? Yeah, we've covered that quite a bit. We did quite a lot uh, about a year ago when I think Google claimed it achieved quantum supremacy or something. Yeah, we, we've done a number of pieces, researched it quite a bit. Yeah. Do you find it to be a threat or what kind of what were your findings from that? The, the general consensus is that at some point it will become a threat. The question is when that will happen. And I, there definitely appears to be a significant amount of time before that will happen. But it's very difficult when you when you're looking at the rate of progress because you know if it increases much more quickly, then suddenly you know it can it can come before you're expecting it. I I think you're looking at like at least kind of five to ten years, and I think the closer we get to it, because you can kind of watch it happen as as each company says, "Hey, we've got a bigger, stronger machine." You can kind of see the development, and as you know, it's coming closer and closer. Then it would be a question of how can we upgrade the algorithms that are used to be more secure. So there's already people that are thinking about this and, and thinking about solutions that can be quantum resistant? I mean, there's there's already, I think, blo- other blockchains that claim to be quantum resistant. So that innovation is already happening. It's not necessarily happening right now on Bitcoin. But I, I think as, as the closer that reality comes, I think you'll get more and more research, you'll get more and more experimentation. And then eventually that day might come where you know there has to be an upgrade. Well, that sounds promising. So I'm reading a book now by uh, Jason Williams, the, the going parabolic guy, a hard money you can't fuck with, why Bitcoin will become the next world reserve currency. I want to ask you, do you think Bitcoin will become the next world reserve currency? No, I don't think so. I think I think probably China's digital currency has the best chance, personally. Why is that? I don't see Bitcoin really becoming a currency. I think it's just because... I, th- I think it offers it a lot, but I don't think it has the functionality, or at least it hasn't really been built yet, for it to successfully operate as as a as kind of a reserve currency. I think if it if there's a lot of innovation, say the Lightning Network gets properly built and it's and everyone uses it, then you've got you know it's a it's a different kind of argument. But I, I just think right now China is so far ahead of the rest of the world that their digital currency is it's you know I mean it's already being tested. It's going to be. I, operational within I, I assume a year or so i don't know exactly like exactly when but you know i assume it's a really it won't be that long before it's properly rolled out and i think it will be 10 steps ahead of the rest of the world i mean the other the rest of the world is kind of vaguely thinking about it looking at it saying hmm, maybe we do need to do this like years ago china just went we're going to do this and has just been dedicating resources to make it happen and and it's they've already built it you know they're testing it making sure it's, it's ready and and it won't be long before it's everywhere in China. I mean, China's already pretty much cashless. Soon it will just be a digital uh, currency operating seamlessly in the background. And I think it will be very interesting to see if the rest of the world starts using China's digital currency. I mean, it, you know, if there are many advantages of a digital currency, I think that will help it spread more widely. And I think that will really be an interesting competition with, with the US dollar. I mean, we, we wrote about it. Um, Dovey Wan did a speech at Consensus Invest last year. Uh, that I thought was really fascinating, basically saying the U.S. is just miles, uh, sorry, China is just miles ahead of the U.S. and that, and and she said that it 
definitely digital yuan could eat into the US dollar's status as the world reserve currency. So yeah, I, I think just it's when it kind of comes to real world currency and use cases, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think it's, it's already been rolled out and it, it's going to be probably successful for what it is. And I think Bitcoin will also, I think, continue to grow. I mean, it, look at everything that's happening right now. I think it's in a really good position. And I, th- I think it will be pretty get pretty big over the next few years. But it's very hard to compete with a currency that's you know, in use and being used by as many people as live in China. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Now, earlier in the episode, you kind of emphasized on how decentralized a coin is. How can China, a Chinese uh, central bank digital currency compete when it's going to be ultra centralized? Are people going to actually want to hold that to store their value? I mean, everyone in China will be using it. it'll It'll be good for transactions. If you're talking about like what's the best investment, I you mm-hmm. know I wouldn't say the yuan. If we're talking about what what's going to become like the kind of biggest monetary force in the world, that's that's I think where the digital yuan will flourish. I, like I'm not saying it's like an ideal system. I'm not you know it's definitely not decentralized at all. This isn't a principles thing. It's just a kind of reality. I think it will be very widely used, and it'll be interesting to see how much the rest of the world picks up on it or whether or not they you know they don't interact with it because it's so controlled by china right and and how is the the u.s uh, reacting to this and like for instance facebook are they still i think they've rebranded libra to something else i haven't really been following on that have you have you read anything or done any research on the american side of that yeah i mean to put that in context what facebook wants to build doesn't necessarily represent the u.s if the u.s united states said we're going to build a digital currency and make that happen and roll it out to the whole of the US and the rest of the world, that would be huge. But what Facebook's building like doesn't won't have quite the same impact because obviously they don't have the, the power of the United States government behind it. Like they don't have the Treasury's reserve. They're not the ones controlling the money. They're just kind of I mean what they're now doing is just building a stable coin. And sure, it's kind of like a digital version of money, but it's more like a derivative. Is you know it represents the money they have in a bank account. It's not you're not actually moving the money itself. So what they're doing is that uh, Libra re- rebranded to DM and then their wallets rebranded from like Calibra to uh n- Novi or something. Yeah. And the, the initial idea was like to have a currency. Well, the initial idea was for Libra to be backed by a basket of fiat currencies and maybe other assets. Now they've scrapped that idea and they're just going to do basically stable coins for each national currency. So there'll be like a US dollar stable coin and, and some others. It's going to be very similar to what we what already exists. And I don't think it's going to have the same impact because, you know, I mean, we already have USD coin, Gemini dollar packs. Don't know what the packs one's called. Pax dollar. Whatever, whatever it is. You know, there's tons of stable coins out there already. Like, it would just be one more. And obviously, you know, Facebook backing it kind of makes it potentially might make it bigger. You know, and if they integrate it into Facebook and WhatsApp, but at the end of the day, it would just be a stable coin. Right. So we're talking about being, you know, uh, pegged to the U.S. dollar here. So you see fiat currencies still hanging around for a long time. Yeah. You right. just you just see a lot of people in the space that call. You know, for the total collapse of us dollars you see guys that are really loud on twitter like max kaiser or uh, you know just a lot of the people that that's saying that fiat currencies are in centralized currencies not the future of store value or, or usage i think that there are a lot of problems with fiat currencies but i i don't think they're going to go away i think they will become digitalized i think if not all of them as we move towards a more digital future, you know, China's going to be there first. Eventually, I think the US, Russia will, will follow. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going away. I think it's more, 
the question is a bit more like where would you want to hold your wealth you know in, in like a depreciating asset or in what has so far been generally an appreciating asset that i think to me is a bit more the distinction between the two i i don't see bitcoin replacing all of the world currencies i mean I, you know i don't think we should have a world currency if you, if you look at europe one of the problems with the euro is the fact that it's one currency across multiple countries so each country can't adjust monetary policy to fit that country it's, they can't do that you can't like refine it so you've just got this kind of one size fits all and and i think that's one of the weaknesses of it and i think you know if it was just one digital currency over the whole world you might have kind of similar issues there uh, right right and you know we're probably we'd be a long way for, before any government would ever say you know this is our official currency at this point right there people are making their own but they're not they're not going that way we're not seeing that yet tim thanks for coming on to my podcast this will be episode 40 of the having report just want to ask if you have any final comments where's the wisdom for maybe new people getting into the space if not maybe just let us know where we can follow you and decrypt i mean we're on twitter uh, at decrypt media i'm quite active on Twitter at Tim C. Copeland. I'm trying to think what will be helpful. I mean, do your own research is, is one of the most, it's, it's a commonly used phrase in this industry. I think it's really, really important. And I think I've been kind of very lucky to be writing about this space uh, every day for the past few years. And, and I think that's given me an incredible amount of understanding because I've essentially been researching it every single day. And I think I'd encourage others to do the same. I think the crypto space is so complicated that you will never fully understand it. You, it's just about how much closer you can get towards towards understanding it. So the more reading you can do is good, whether, whether that's like books that you, you, know, you pick up, podcasts, online news sites, whatever it is. Yeah, keep reading. Awesome, man. Okay, thanks again, Tim. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to episode 40 of the Having Report podcast. Please click the like button. Let me know what you thought in the comments below. Subscribe to the podcast. Connect with us on social at Having Report, and we'll see you back next time.